Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host Michael McCall, and we have got another packed show for you this week. And what has been certainly a very busy week in the world of MLS. We're going to be joined by Zach later on in the show, but I want to kick things off for this episode with an old friend of AFTN. We had him on when the, the lockdown first started at March time. A lot has changed since then. And the last time the, we got together was back at the MLS Cup in November. And I mean, that was seven months ago now. And that, that just seems such a, a long, long time ago with, with everything that's happened since. So welcome on to the show once again from Radio Cascadia, Stephen Egan. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm excited to talk with you. And my goodness, it does feel like it's been a long time since MLS Cup. Much longer than seven months, that's for sure. And uh, one would struggle struggle to imagine going back in time and trying to explain to yourself then uh, how the world has unfolded since. I think I could buy Seattle uh, getting outplayed in MLS Cup for an hour and still managing to win 3-1, but just about everything beyond that would have been a stretch. Yeah, I I was just thinking about that the the other night when I was thinking what we we're going to chat about on the show. That night before the MLS Cup, we're, we're sitting in a bar in Seattle, a group of us, we're having a great time, we're just talking about football, about life and what we're hoping to do moving forward. Just could not have imagined someone coming in and saying, oh, by the way, guys, all these things are going to happen once 2020 starts and... It's just incredible to think how fast-moving everything has been. And, I mean, we don't even know what what's in story. We're not even halfway through 2020. It's wild. Uh, for From political benchmarks, the one that I thought was wild the other day, we are closer to when Trump was uh, cleared of impeachment than, when, than we are to the upcoming election, which just seems wild. That seems wow. like it was ages ago, years ago. But, no, uh, it's just that there's been a lot that's happened in between. Yeah, we last had you on the show just as the lockdown was starting in March and we were talking about it and we didn't know how long this was going to last for, what football was going to look like, what the world was going to look like. So, I, I mean, before we really get into this, I, I really just want to find out how, how, you're, how you've been doing in, in the last couple of weeks of, of lockdown down there in, in Seattle. Because I know things have been tough, especially right at the start down in Washington. Thank you for asking, Michael. 
Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, compared to most folks, I've been very fortunate. I'm a college student, and so my classes have moved online. Uh, but really, that's a minimal change compared to what most have had to deal with during this. So many people losing their jobs, so many people having their, their schedules and lives thrown into turmoil. Um, and that's not even counting the, the, the poor people who have, who have gotten the virus. And so I, I have been very fortunate personally, I have to say. Online class is weird, but I am over it. And I am just hoping that I can do my part to help uh, get through this as quickly as we can. Uh, I wear a mask when I go out, I get my latte in the morning, I get about a mile of walking in for exercise, and then I stay home as much as I can after that the rest of the day. Uh, but what's it been like for you, Michael? It, it's It's been, well, I, I'm, a, I'm quite an antisocial person, so like being stuck at home and not having to go out and be in social circumstances that I maybe don't want to be in, that's not been too bad. It, it has been very different up here. It's, I mean, the, the last week alone, there's there's not been many deaths reported. The cases are, are often in single figures. And it, it does seem to be that we've handled things very well here in BC. It's not been the case elsewhere in, in Canada where it's quite bad out east. But I think we've been very, very fortunate. It's a weird thing to say, but it's it's meant that I've got a chance to do a lot of football stuff that I hadn't been able to do. I've got my East Fife website back up and running, which I've been trying to revamp for the last year and a half, and I've launched an East Fife podcast, so I've been keeping busy. But what about yourself, football-wise? Have you been doing anything to keep yourself busy in terms of watching football or reading about football or anything like that? I read what I can. It has been interesting to follow along with the Bundesliga as it has started back up. Uh, It is pretty surreal to see the way that those closed-door matches work. Just, you know, I, I think the weirdest thing for me is when the goals happen and then the music comes on over the loudspeakers and there's this blaring pop song going on in the background after there's just been deafening silence for God only knows how long before. Uh, and you just kind of realize that the magnitude of sound that you're missing there. Uh, but all in all, it's it's uh, just great to have something competitive to watch. It's the, the most depressed I get is when I look at my my scores app, my soccer scores app on my phone, I scroll through it, it's just postponed after postponed after postponed there for weeks and weeks and weeks of fixtures. Um, So any live soccer, I've been eating it up, really looking forward to having NWSL and MLS back, uh, despite my concerns about uh, their their choice to start up so quickly. Uh, But I, I will be honest, I have been more focused on the social problems that we've been having here in the United States and on trying to, to learn what I can, educate myself any way I can about what's going on here. Some things are, are bigger and more important than football, and we're, we're in the midst of that here in the United States. Yes, yeah, you're certainly being in the, the epicenter of it as, as well down, down in Seattle. We had a, a good chat about stuff before we were recording there. And we're going to look at MLS and NWSL getting back into it. So before we, we really dig into the bones of the MLS tournament. Let's chat a little bit about some of the build-up to it, because it's been a very unusual couple of weeks, as we said in many regards, but certainly in, in MLS terms, there was a lot of big talking points. And the first one I really want to talk to you about, because we've talked about it on the show, but I'd be curious to get just your take on it, especially from a, a different market, really, for a team, but the, the threatened MLS lockdown. Just curious to see what you thought about how all of that played out and just really how did it leave you feeling about the league? 
Michael, I mean, that was, uh, that was exceptionally disappointing. Um, as someone who's followed the league really closely for, I guess, 12 years now, uh, it's just not the way that you want to see the league treat its players. And uh, for all the things that Major League Soccer does right, I think that uh, there's been a bit of a consistent thread throughout its history um, of the owners not treating the, the base class, the, the minimum salary class of player and the, the journeyman class of player uh, as well as they should for the way that they've carried the league and helped the league to exist for the, the 25 years that it's been around. And particularly in this situation, not just for a certain class of player, but, but for all players, uh, they were being asked to, are being asked to go above and beyond. They're being asked to put themselves and perhaps their families at, at some risk, at some elevated risk of contracting this virus. They're being asked to stay away from their loved ones for a period of time. Uh, they have to go to Orlando, of all places, for, for six weeks, right? So I don't, I don't know that that would be a lot of uh, players' first choice to begin with. Uh, I know that for Canadian players, there are additional restrictions that come with uh, attending this Orlando tournament as well. Um, and so all in all, the players were really asked to do a lot, and then for the owners to, to come in with this heavy-handed approach when they're asking more from their players than they ever have before in a unique circumstance, uh, to quibble over a couple of percentage points of revenue here and there over the next five years, I think it is, that yeah. the players have agreed to take revenue uh, cuts for to me, it's wild. I don't. I, I think it's unconscionable. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much because I, I, I think there is a lot that Major League Soccer gets right. Uh, but the way that they treat their players in these labor disputes and these discussions, uh, it doesn't reflect well on them, given the magnitude of league that they have and given the revenue that they have coming in. Because those of us who really pay close attention, I think we know that they're quibbling over small sums of money compared to what they're taking in. Oh yeah, and I mean there was a, a a couple of surprising things out of it all for me. One of them being the fact that the CBA hadn't actually been signed off, which I found baffling. That it was agreed in February and it still hadn't been signed off. I mean, did that come as a, a bigger surprise to you as it did to me? You know, I think that because we hadn't seen an implementation of new roster rules of significantly different roster rules. You know, they didn't announce some new currency or anything like that. You, know, you kind of expect to get some sort of tweak to the rules with a, with a new CBA. Um, I kind of figured that we were operating kind of under last year's agreement, more or less, somehow, or that we were in some type of transitional year anyways. Mm. Um, but I think it, it, it shows more good faith from the players, doesn't it, to go another year without, without a contract on that. I think you have to say it. It, it shows that they're counting on the owners, treating them properly as the revenue for the league grows over time. And it's hard to say uh, through this situation that the owners have shown that same good faith. Yeah, I, I mean, I played a lot of audio on last week's show from various conference calls around the, the league that I had jumped on. And I've never seen players as united in their anger in all the years of covering the, the league as I have in this situation. And if anything, what this has done, I think, is it, I think it's brought the player base closer together because there was always, you've got guys at the top end of it that's making multi-millions like the Zlatans and the Wayne Rooney's and all these kind of guys. Then you've got the homegrowns at the bottom and the domestic players that's making the minimum, which in the grand scheme of salaries for sports is basically nothing. And then you've got the other players in between. You've got all the foreign players that maybe don't really care about contract disputes. They're here for a different way of life, all that kind of stuff. It seems to have really brought everyone together. 
Yeah, you know, there seems to be a, a frugality that pervades the entire league, and maybe it's a DNA. And in my estimation, I think a lot of people think it comes from the fact that, that MLS tried to set itself up in a way so that it wouldn't fold as prior North American soccer experiments had. Mm. Um, and I think that frugality served it, has served it well in a lot of ways for, for a long time. But it's a really, really bad look once you mentioned it, once you get to the point where you're paying people at the top end of the roster millions of millions of dollars, it's time to stop quibbling with the guys on the bottom end if they make 50 grand or 90 or 100 grand now, because those are, those are not sums that you're quibbling about in transfer negotiations for guys like Carlos Vela and Raul Ruiz Diaz. It's just not happening. If they have the money for those guys, they have the money for MLS players to not have to take up apartments with each other. Uh, they have the money so that these guys can have living, you know, living wages in, in big metropolitan cities. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to talk about this, but I think that Major League Soccer discourages kids in the United States and Canada from playing soccer. When you look at what draft picks make, when you look at what German MLS players make compared to what people at the top end make and the seeming lack of commitment from MLS to, to bring their standard of affluence up as the league grows in, in orders of magnitude and revenue, you know, what, what are they going to do? Do you want to play in the NBA? Do you want to play in the NFL? Do you want to play hockey? What, what sport do you want to play? Do you want to go to college for a few years, get drafted in the second round, and make fifty-five grand playing in MLS? I, I don't know how many people want to do that. Does, does that argument hold water for you? Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, MLS, in soccer terms, for domestic guys, I mean, it pays me way more than USL, which is also paying way more than like the, the Canadian Premier League. I mean, you talked about young guys sharing places or having their own place. In the CPL, there's a lot of teams around the league where there's like four or five guys sharing a house together because they're on less than 30000 a year and it's like they can't afford to, to not do that. So, I mean, it, the league needs a big overhaul. The league then would argue, well, we can't do that unless we get more money coming in because, as we know, the expansion money doesn't go to the teams per se, it just goes to the owners. And then it's up to the owners whether they feel that they want to put that into their teams or whether they want to keep it. And when you've got it built on that, and then you've got some multi-millionaire, maybe even billionaire owners around the league as well, to, to then be quibbling, as you say, over such small amounts, for the fans looking on, it, it it seems head-scratching, and you can see why the players were angry, but at least things were agreed, and the tournament is a go. It starts on July 8th. It's going to run till August 11th. We'll delve into the ins and outs of it in the next part, but just just what's your thoughts, and you've touched on it a little bit already, just on MLS returning to play right now. Do you feel it's the right time, or do you feel it's too early? Just to cap off the last point quickly, Michael, I, I calculated it out at the end of last season, and I think that if Seattle upped their total roster expenditure by about 4%, I think it was, they could have brought all of their players up to a minimum salary of $100,000. So just to be clear, for oh, wow. most clubs, this is not a big sum of money we're talking about to get to the point where everybody has that wage. Um, but I'm sorry, to get to, get to your question... Um, I am concerned that it's too soon. I think that uh, a lot of the United States has opened up too quickly or hasn't taken lock lockdown seriously enough to begin with. 
And uh, in a lot of places, we're seeing that there's uh, likely to be a second bump, if not uh, a much longer first wave of the virus than people were, were hoping or anticipating. It seems that a lot of different elements of American society have sort of built in the best case scenario for coronavirus for the next six or eight months. And I think that that's, that's a little bit naive and optimistic. And I fear that MLS has gone down the same path here. And uh, I would want to see a, a really stringent set of regulations for how they're going to pull this off to be really sure of uh, the timing working out, to be sure that this is a safe thing to do. And I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I've seen that yet. No, I, I've, I've had a lot of concerns about this tournament before everything was announced this week with it. And then being on the Don Garber call on Wednesday and hearing some of the lacks of protocol that, that's in place, I've, I've got even more concerns now because it, it does feel that, it feels like the league is coming back mostly about money, sponsorship, future marketing opportunities and exposure that they feel that this is a, a chance to get the league out there. And I mean, I'm, I might be wrong and just cynical, but it feels that it's all about that rather than a genuine desire to get back playing actual football. I definitely fear that you're right, and I think that the lack of specific regulation that they have so far is a testament to that, that that's not the, the first thing on their minds. Um, and I just wonder, you know, what... What happens if a few players get coronavirus? Then do you, do you have to stop? Do you have to isolate them? Do their whole teams have to have to be isolated? How does how does that work? And how do you not have plans in place for it? And and furthermore, doesn't it cost a lot of money to get all of this started up? To not know what's going to happen if things go sideways? You know, I mean, if, yeah. what, what, if you if you told me that they have a plan in place where if one guy gets you know test positive, you test the whole team and that team doesn't play for X amount of days and this and that and the other thing, I, I, I might be able to go along with it. But for now, I'm worried that we're going to have a case where you get started and all of a sudden there are 35 cases and they go, oops, we're not playing the rest of this tournament. And then that's a huge setback. Um, I certainly am not, am not rooting for MLS to have a failed tournament despite all of the uh, negative negativity that has pervaded our discussion about it so far. But that being said, it doesn't sound like they are doing everything they can to mitigate uh, the chances of that happening. No, I, I think that is exactly it. Before, before I share my thoughts on that, let me just play a little bit of audio just now. This is what Don Garber said with regards to the, the testing protocols that's going to be in place during the tournament. Testing for those outside of the, the player and official group, uh, for example, the drivers and the, the cleaning staff. But also he was asked to expand on what would happen if there was a positive test, what protocols were in place for, for that. And it's very concerning to me what, what he said. Let, let's hear that just now. With regard to the testing protocols, it, it, I read in the release that there are going to be temperature screenings and standardized screening questionnaires for everyone that's working at the, the wide world of sports complex, as well as the hotels. How concerned are you about that being a possible avenue of transmission in terms of COVID-19 for the players and staff? And, and why aren't you testing the, those individuals who are going to come in contact either at the hotel or at the complex? Well, again, Jeff, I think the key point there is those uh, staff people will not be coming in close contact with our players. Uh, and if they were going to be in close contact, then uh, we would manage it through a different protocol. 
Uh, so we're all going to be living in a world where uh, we, we're not going to be able to test every uh, person that comes in contact with each other or comes in contact uh, with uh, uh, us as we go on with our, uh, with our lives. Uh, we do need to manage social distancing. We will have that in place. We will need to uh, manage uh, uh, face masks and other PPE uh, for anybody that is involved in, in this project. Uh, we will have sanita sanitizing uh, and, and other uh, things like temperature checks and, and the like for uh, those that are involved in, in uh, the, the hotels and, and involved in housekeeping and the like. Uh, but those are, those are not our employees. Uh, and uh, we're confident uh, having gone through this protocol, both with our own infectious disease doctor, but also in sharing that with the MLSPA's infectious disease advisor, but also with the state authorities, Jeff. So uh, this is a protocol that uh, we're confident uh, about, uh, and uh, we will uh, uh, manage uh, uh, with, with real discipline. Just wanted to follow up on Jeff's question. Um, I'm just curious how non-MLS staff, servers, bus drivers, the folks that clean rooms are not going to be coming into contact with players. I'm not sure how that works exactly. And how concerned are you about the spike in cases in the Orlando area just in these last couple of days? Well, again, uh, the contact, there's a difference between contact and there's a difference with, between being in the vicinity. I don't think a uh, a bus driver is going to be in close contact with somebody walking on the bus, for example. So somebody cleaning their room uh, is not necessarily going to be in close contact with, uh, with a player. The players are going to be in close contact with each other, and that's why they're going to be tested as frequently as they are. And any staff that is in close contact with them, the coaches uh, that will be uh, involved in, et cetera, et cetera. So they're, they're, it's just a different procedure uh, and and uh, I don't know how to describe it uh, any other way. Uh, you know, we are obviously, uh, like everybody, uh, monitoring what goes on and what has been going on with, uh, with COVID in every state, including in Florida. And the number of cases in Florida uh, have been uh, less than in many, many other places. So we're confident that uh, we'll be able to manage uh, our tournament, which is isolated from the public, uh, and uh, again, the public is not going to have contact with them without uh, uh, wearing PPE, face masks and the like. Uh, so it's not as if the, uh, the tournament will be open to the public. There won't be any uh, 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 guests uh, in the uh, environment where we're going to be. Uh, so it's something that we are confident we'll be able to manage. Reading the medical protocol this morning, and I'm, I want, one thing I did not see is is there a, a number of positive tests that halts the tournament, um, whether temporarily or more than temporarily? Uh, there is no specific protocol for how many positive tests uh, would uh, have us take a step back and think about what, uh, what happens next. Uh, it's why we're so focused on regular testing uh, and uh, ensuring what, uh, what, that we do what we need to do uh, to uh, keep our players safe, uh, and then managing what would happen should a player test uh, positive. Uh, and a player test positive, obviously, they're removed from uh, the tournament. Uh, they go into quarantine. There's contact tracing for those that uh, have been uh, with, uh, in contact within 10 feet of that person. Those people are tested uh, even more regularly than had they not been in contact with a positive test.
So MLS Commissioner Don Garber there, and just to reiterate what he said, there is no specific protocol for how many positive tests would have us take a step back and think about what happens next. He went on to say if a player tests positive, obviously they are removed from the tournament, they go into quarantine, and then there's going to be contract tracing for those that have been in contact within 10 feet of that person. So then you flip it back to what he said earlier, which was that drivers, cleaning staff, you can imagine caterers and stuff as well, will not be subject to daily testing or regular testing. They'll just be having their temperatures checked because, he says, they won't be coming that close to the players. Which seems baffling to me how a driver would then not be within 10 feet of players as they get on and off the bus. It's, I mean, to me it just all seems crazy, but I mean, just what, what's your thoughts on it, Stephen? Here's my line of thought here, Michael. If you don't articulate shutdown conditions for this tournament, or as Garber put it, step back, right? Which, man, is that not is that not some PR speak there? Wow. Um, anyways, uh, if you don't articulate those conditions when you articulate so much else, does it not send a pretty clear message that you're going to do whatever you possibly can to keep the tournament open regardless of what happens, probably regardless of safety? But that's what you're saying. There, there is. We've decided that there is no line in the sand we can draw that's bad enough where we say we'll stop. That's that's what that sounds like to me. Yeah, that, that's that's how it came across to me because I, when I was listening to it and then I tweeted this out, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing because it was like, surely you should know how many tests it would take for you to say, okay, we need to put a pause in this. And if you look at Orlando just now and Orange County, where this is going to be taking place, we're recording this on Saturday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, there's been a growing increase in the number of cases. Yes, not deaths, just cases. And part of that is because there's a lot more testing that they're doing now than before. But on Saturday, there was like over 2,600 new cases which was a rise of nearly 700 cases from the day before. Now, this doesn't strike me then as in the next couple of weeks before everyone gets there, all of a sudden we're going to start getting better. This just seems more worrying. And if you've got people coming into the bubble, and you can't expect these low-paid staff, like cleaning staff, to, to be isolated from their families for two months just for a sporting tournament to go on. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I feel the risk is there, and I, I, yeah, I agree. I don't think that the league is maybe fully addressing it, or they're thinking, yeah, we're going to go on. It's going to take a major, major outbreak for us not to. And if there was a major outbreak, this looks very bad in the league. If there's a major outbreak, it's an absolute disaster, isn't it? I mean, that 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 is the type of thing that could do really long-term harm to the league compared to the short-term financial opportunity that they are trying to to capitalize on here, I think it's a really bad look when the commissioner of Major League Soccer can't articulate what the shutdown point is. I think he's got to know that. I think he's got to have it. There, you know, you've got you've got to be able to say something reasonable for that, or people are going to assume that it's not one of your top priorities. And I and I think that it's the conclusion that a lot of folks have come to. And I it, I think both you and I have ended up there. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the turning it is going ahead. We'll take a little break now and we'll delve into the ins and outs of it in the next part because we've got a Cascadia Derby coming up and we'll be back to chat about that 
after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. After the glow, the scene, the stage, the set, and talk becomes slow, but there's one thing I'll never forget. Hey, you gotta pay your dues before you pay the rent. Over the turnstiles and out in the traffic, there's ways of living, it's the way I'm living, right or wrong, it's all that I can. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was Range Life from AFTN's Artist of the Month for June, Pavement. Taken from their 1994 album Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Pavement's second studio album, released on Valentine's Day in 1994, didn't chart in Canada, only reached number 121 in the US album charts, but its highest placing was over in the UK, where it charted at number 15. It's also one of my all-time favourite albums. Probably going to pick another song from that album next week. I could really play so many songs from that album, but we're we're only allowing ourselves four pavement songs for, for this month. Trying to spread it out over their career, but that is definitely a fantastic album. If you haven't heard much by Pavement... Well, you haven't heard that album, really recommend that you check it out. So we're rejoined by Stephen Agan from Radio Cascadia now, just to take a deep delve into this MLS tournament that is getting underway next month. It's getting held at the ESPN Worldwide of Sports. It's a lovely little venue. I've been down there myself in 2012 when the Whitecaps won the Disney Classic, or as I like to call it, the Mickey Mouse Cup. It's a beautiful venue. It's a big venue. NBA, depending what happens, I know there's been a lot of stuff in the last couple of days from their players, they're going to be at the venue as well at the same time. The, the pitch itself should should make for a, a nice, kind of tight, good uh, TV, intimate atmosphere kind of thing. But, I mean, we talked about whether Orlando was a good place to go to just now. Do, do you feel it was even the right place to, to have this tournament? If they're going to have it anywhere, Stephen... Is Orlando the only place it could have been? I, I'm concerned about the heat aspect. You know, the heat's going to be really, really difficult. I understand um, how they ended up in Florida. I kind of was thinking about that Bradenton complex that MLS used to operate. Remember they had that mm. EL team yeah. with Generation Adidas stuff, and I was kind of thinking maybe they'd go there. Um, but it sounds to me like like hooking up with wild, you know, Wide World of Sports, you know, hooking up with Disney here, I think yeah. that's probably got to be an upgrade, right? Yeah, I mean, ESPN, it's on site. So, I mean, they've got a broadcaster on site. When we were talking in the past about a tournament coming back, I actually suggested a couple of months ago now that I thought this was the ideal place. I hadn't even really factored in what the weather was going to be. 
And it means we're going to be getting a, a game that kicks off at 6am Pacific time, which if you're doing this to get TV ratings, that does not seem ideal. Wow, I did not actually know that there was going to be a kickoff that that early. That is, yeah, um, yeah. that is wild and very early. And I, I, I hope I hope I'm not up for any of those games or have to be up for any of those games. But well, we'll let, let me let me tell you this: Christian Jack from TSN had a chat with Don Garber, and he said, "I, I would take it you're going to make sure that the six a.m. time slot, because it's it's nine a.m. Eastern time, is going to be for the Eastern teams." And he could not guarantee that. He said those details still have to be worked out. So we could have Western teams playing at 6 a.m. our time with no one watching. Weird. I thought it would take, like, Club World Cup for that to happen. It, it, it's just bizarre. I mean, let's get into the tournament format. There's going to be three group games. All those three group games, the points earned in that will count towards the regular season standings. Then there's a knockout stage where 16 of the 26 teams will advance. You're going to have the top two in all six groups and then the four best third place teams. 16 out of 26 in a knockout round. Very World Cup, I know. But surely if an MLS team does not make that, for only 10 teams not to make it, you have to be a pretty bad team, I think, or a very unprepared team to not make the knockout round. It is interesting that it's this World Cup style now, and that's very different than what we see with MLS the rest of the way. Where you know, I mean, you could pick out, you could pick out most clubs in the league, not all, but most clubs who have good three or four game runs. And now it's about who does it at the right time in the ah. right place. Um, I guess you know the run needs to be longer than that if you're going to go deep into the knockout stages. But for for somebody to to, to have a surprise to create a shock in the group stage seems possible. Um, we know that there's parity in MLS and that it takes time uh, for people to shake out, for people to, to stratify in the regular season. That being said, uh, clubs at the top have taken consistently more and more points over the last few years, right? We see the Supporters' Shield record broken most seasons now. I just I think it's, it's a league that is still at a point where there's enough parity that a tournament like this could toss up a bunch of surprises and uh, I think you're right. Anybody who's any good should get through. Uh, I think it's one of those rare instances where everybody but Nashville has a shot. Yeah, I, I think genuinely, yeah, that is the case. Every team's going to fancy it, fancy their chances. And the big bugbear I had when these started to come out in The Athletic was the, the knockout round seemed pointless to me because you had the group games counting for something and then the knockout round didn't really seem to be counting for anything. I still don't think it really counts for much. Now, I love the Champions League. I think it's a great competition. The winner of the knockout round is going to secure a berth in next year's Champions League, although we don't know yet what is happening with this year's Champions League. So I don't know how valuable a spot that actually is, is going to be. And for the first time ever, a Canadian club can qualify for the Champions League via MLS. It's a one-off deal that's been announced through CONCACAF and the US and Canadian Soccer Federations. It's going to replace the Supporters' Shield winner. That is fantastic. But you do have to wonder, apart from some money getting thrown their way, is there really a lot in it for the, for the other 15 teams that don't end up winning it but have to play these extra knockout games? That's an interesting point. Uh, there's definitely not anything that seems to be in it for them. 
that does seem to be primarily about revenue for the league, doesn't it? And the fact that they want to make this an open cup substitute for the season. Uh, truth be told, if you wanted, you could just you know, use regular season standings for those things at the end of the year to allocate Champions League spots if you're concerned about that. You could send every conference finalist if you wanted to and include Canadian clubs that, uh, include the Canadian clubs this season. Uh, if you can include them in this special one-off tournament, you could include them in the MLS spots one year as well. That's also a possibility uh, if we're bending the rules, right? Uh, so I just... I. I think that it's it's kind of clearly the money grab form. It's the we're we're flying everybody to Florida, so we have to declare a champion there before we leave. And I, you know, maybe that's one of the stipulations of doing it with ESPN, as they say, give us a knockout tournament at the end of it. I don't know, uh, but it will drum up excitement for fans. I, I, I understand that aspect of it. Um, it will create you know a different atmosphere in these matches than the group stages will have likely. Um, and you have to figure that, that at the very least, it will create uh, some interesting attention for the league and some interesting games. That being said, I'm totally with you. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. And I, I mean, I, I, I understand that the teams that make the playoffs, only one team ends up winning that. So, I mean, I do understand it's very similar to that. It's just this is different in that you're flying them to, I was going to say, across the world, but to the bottom end of the continent if you're coming from Vancouver. But the Champions League berth, some teams are, are not probably going to care if they actually get into the Champions League or not because a lot of teams maybe feel it's a bit of a distraction. That's not the case with the White Caps. Mark DeSantos in particular is very excited about the chance to, to earn a, a spot in the Champions League from, from winning this tournament. So he had a little chat with media here on Wednesday about that. Let's hear some of the things that he had to say. Question to Mark as well then about the the chance for the first time a Canadian team can actually qualify for the Champions League via MLS. Just to, to kind of get your thoughts on that. It's great. It's like Axel said, we've been speaking about in the first couple of questions were I was surprised they were more towards the one million dollar than towards the, the the CONCACAF Champions League spot, to be honest, because I think that's the biggest incentive for us for the future. Um, not knowing what will be next, it's important that we speak about anyone that would say that after the Orlando tournament, we're going to do this and we're going to start playing in our mark. It's also so much of a question mark that our focus as a club and as a team has to be solely on what we have to do in Orlando, take the tournament as an opportunity and our biggest motivation should be let's grab that Champions League spot before anything else, before not knowing what tomorrow has to offer us. So our biggest motivation, I think, would will be that. So that was Mark DeSantos there, just giving his thoughts on the, the importance of having a, a Champions League qualification at the end of this tournament. And I mean... This is something that means a lot to him. He really values the tournament. So to chat a little bit about that now, please to welcome on the phone, Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. How are you doing tonight, Zach? I'm doing well, Michael. So we've covered some of this with, with Stephen already. We'll get Stephen back in the next part to chat a little bit more. But the big thing that came out from MLS's tournament announcement this week was, for the first time, a Canadian club can qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League via MLS. Only if they win the tournament, but it's a start. 
So there had to be an agreement between Canada Soccer, US Soccer and CONCACAF to make that happen. They're championing it as a one-time change. Mm. Now, first of all, thoughts on on that, but, I mean, if they can make a one-time change, why can't they, they make a permanent change to this and, and have Canadian teams qualify for the Champions League via MLS? I mean, if you look at it, in England, that would be like saying to Cardiff or Swansea, OK, you've won the FA Cup or you've finished top four in the Premiership, but we already allow teams in from Wales through the Welsh League and the Welsh Cup. So you can get into Europe through that. It has to go to an English club. It's a bit of a stretch, I know, but I mean, it's always seemed ridiculous. So if they can make a one-time change, why can't they just make a permanent change to this? Yeah, it's crazy. In one sense, I never thought I'd see the day, <laughs> or you know, yeah. I never thought we'd see the day that this would happen. That MLS uh, and the USSF, I guess more specifically, would potentially uh, or would put on the line one of their spots to allow a club from Canada to, to take it uh, via a competition. I, I I fully agree with you. If you can do this once, you can make it permanent. Uh, I think there is little to no will or desire from the USSF to. To do that, I don't. I do, I can't see that happening. Although I think I agree with you, it would be better in terms of the, the actual competition, um, and just in terms of you know fairness. Um, I think it makes sense. I, I can see a lot of maybe more so supporters than 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 the, the clubs themselves or whatever complaining that you know uh, the Canadian MLS teams their primary path to to the the, the Champions League is through. The Voyagers Cup, which is now obviously uh, the best it's ever been in terms of you know the volume of teams and and maybe to a lesser degree the format of the competition. Yeah. Um, but you know, so they have a shorter path there, right? Depending on what team you are and how it's structured in in, in a given year, you have two to four rounds to you know to win to win the competition and make it in. And now on top of that, this year there's a, this very unique tournament where you could also win a, you know, win a berth, which to some might seem unfair. I think you mostly just hear supporters whine about it from, you know, uh, you know, places that don't qualify or, you know, don't make it, or maybe, you know, uh, especially if one of the, if, if one of the, if one of the Canadian teams win, you'll hear a lot of people whining around them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. This, this is something that I, I think should be based on competition and fairness should be made permanent. So yeah, in a given year, if a Canadian team won the MLS Cup, uh, or and I would I would also say the Supporter Shield, but <laughs> that would be uh, maybe a stretch. But if, if a team wins, a Canadian team wins either of those things, I think they should take one of those spots, and then that year the USSF would only have only have three teams. Well, yeah, because I mean, last year you had the farcical situation, which I'd asked Don Garber about before the MLS Cup, and he wasn't fully... He said he hadn't been fully aware of it until a couple of days before, that if Toronto had won, because they lost to Montreal in the Canadian Championship, you would have had the MLS winners not in the Champions League. So, I mean, that's how stupid it it is. And US teams, they can qualify for the Champions League via the US Open Cup by winning the Supporters' Shield, by winning one of the conferences, by winning the MLS Cup whereas Canadian teams can only qualify through the, the Voyagers' Cup. So you've got one one route. So, I mean, if you've got a league 
that's a two nation league. And I know, like, it's basically just by name because th- their motto should be MLS, O, and Canada. I mean, if you've got a two nation league, you have to have the same rules, I've always felt, for, for clubs of both nations. And I, I feel just now. Their, their hand has kind of been forced because I was asking questions and other folks been asking questions about, well, what is the, the actual point of this knockout tournament then? Because if Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver made it to, say, the last four, apart from throwing some money at them, and there's a million-dollar prize pot for the whole tournament, it really would not have been worth anything. And it, you'd have been as well just going home at the end of the three group games. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. I, I, I remember a week or two ago when you were you were asking us a whole bunch, right? Like, what's the point if you were if you're a Canadian team and you make it through? Why would why would you want to stay more other than you know match fitness? Because that was literally the only thing thing on the line. Yeah, I mean, I I love the Champions League. I I think it's a it's a very underappreciated competition by teams by some fans. TV as well don't put a lot of stock in it. And sometimes I think it's getting better, sometimes it's not. I like the new format. I think it, it works very well. But at the, in the grand scheme of things, is winning the tournament and winning a, a place in the Champions League actually going to be considered a prize by some teams? Is it going to be an incentive or is it going to be more seen as an inconvenience? Yeah, because we've talked about this many times in the past, the, the Canadian and U.S. teams' approach to the CONCACAF Champions League in its various forms in the past have been a little bit lacking. The, the newer form obviously has changed things, but, you know, uh, when there was a group stage, it was, you know, some of the MLS teams, you know, didn't take it seriously at all. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why the Whitecaps made the knockout round is because, in part, because Kansas City chose to, you know, play you know weaker side. Um, Although we we also played weaker sides, we had some of our WFC two call ups playing the group games. Right, but uh, I think Vancouver. I think my recollection is that Vancouver sides, although weakened from their full MLS side, were actually stronger sides than what Kansas City played yeah. in those those two games. Right? Yeah, all the way. Uh, but that you know, yeah. But so yeah, I agree with you. MLS teams um, when, they, when the group stage era did not take it too. Did not always did not always take it seriously. I think that's changed a little bit in the hey, it's just a knockout thing, and there's only whatever four rounds or whatever where they have taken it more seriously. But the thing that uh, has happened the last couple of years is it's been a for those who go far in the competition, it's really messed up uh, their league campaign. Thinking yeah. specifically of Kansas City and Toronto FC. Absolutely, and. I mean, the, the Canadian teams, I do feel, take it a lot more seriously. And Mark DeSantos really would love a chance to, to, to win this tournament and to, to take the Whitecaps into it and try and have a run at it. But you've also got the big unanswered question when you're, you're, you're talking about Canadian teams. Montreal were doing well in the, in the Champions League this year. Maybe a, a bit of a tough time in the last home game that they played. But, I mean, they were still in with a shout. And you've still got that big unanswered question hanging around as to what is happening with this year's Champions League and the teams in it. We don't know if that's even going to restart. Do they carry on into next year? What does that then mean? And, I mean, if it isn't possible to to play it this year, which does seem highly unlikely that we're going to have international travel, 
the the winner of this tournament might not even have a tournament to play in. I think oh, it's yeah. likely to see it play out at some point between now and the end of 2020. But we should just get Vic on the phone. Give Vic a call. He'll tell us. Yeah, we'll try and get him on our 400th show. There you go. If you're listening, Vic, give us a call. Shoot me a DM. One thing to mention about the Canadian teams is this spot winning this tournament does not impact on Canada's two other CCL spots. So that's the Voyagers Cup winner for 2020 would still qualify for the Champions League. If it happened to be the same team that won the Orlando tournament and the Voyagers Cup, Canada Soccer have been asked to come up with a plan that would make sure that they they would overcome that. So I would assume they would probably either give it to the maybe the CPL winners or the highest placed MLS team or, or have a playoff or something. And then the other spot for the, the CPL side in the CONCACAF League is not affected either. So, I mean, that that's good. You've got this agreement, but Canada still has the, their spots to, to, to play for. But, I mean, that brings us nicely on to, to the Voyagers Cup because there's been a lot of discussion as to what might happen with that. And much like the CPL... It's being mooted that it could be be played in a hub city or it might be kind of played the, the way that the draw had it. Now, but before we get into how that, that could look, I want to play a little bit of audio from Axel Schuster now, who was just asked if, if he's heard anything about what's happening with the, the Voyagers Cup this year. So, so here's what Axel had to say. Of course, uh, right now, um, CSA tries and still looks at uh, to play the full cap and to play it in the original format um, but and we have you you know it's not that big number of games so we have still time to get that done but uh, CSA and MLS and US soccer all of them are working together and there is also FIFA involved in that and CONCACAF because of uh, of national team windows so nothing of them that, that is fixed so you, it's impossible to 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 fix it by today because uh, we were in exchange with Concacaf. Uh, only to give you one example, um, the with the international calendar would look like, and when national teams would be able to resume to their competition because there are also some games that have to be played for the upcoming competitions. So they are looking at that as soon as we as we have a new calendar and new schedule with all that dates locked then we can run that and then we can fix all the other dates but it looks good if if we can go on in the same way we do and the things develop in the same way they did in the last month so that was axel schuster there i mean before we get into the ins and outs of what the voyagers cup might look like zach i mean what kind of priority do you give the Canadian Championship this year compared to, to league play? Do you feel it's a necessity that it has to be played? Or should the MLS and CPL teams be concentrating more on getting their league play back before they look at this? Yeah, I mean, obviously my perspective on this is heavily biased because I'm, I'm a Voyager, I'm a part of the Voyagers. And uh, although I wasn't one of the awesome individuals who contributed to, to pay to make the cup happen, I came along just just to, uh, just after that time. I think that this should be given priority. Like to me, this is uh, the most important competition for all Canadian clubs, and they should all uh, be giving their all for it. I know that doesn't happen, obviously, but that's that's my personal perspective. 
also want to ask, ask the question you asked, asked me earlier. In terms of if a Canadian team wins the Orlando tournament and claims a spot via the USSF or MLS or whatever, uh, and that same team were to win the Voyager's Cup, my personal preference would be that the losing finalist of the Voyager's Cup would get a Champions League spot. So that spot remains on the line in the... Ah. Or connected to the Voyager's Cup, I should say. Yeah. Um, because to me, even because uh, to me, let's say let's say uh, Vancouver won the Orlando tournament. I know, crazy to think. That's your MDS. <laughs> uh, crazy to think. But let's say they won that, and then they made the final of the Voyager's Cup. Sure, they don't have the pressure of uh, of that spot being on the line, but you can bet any money that their desire to win the Voyager's Cup is still huge. Oh, definitely. But the team they'd be playing against would have this huge desire. Not only win the cup, but also to make the Champions League. You would, you would assume. Yeah, I mean that, that'd been an interesting one. And it's something that's done in other parts of the world, right? Oh so, yeah. Uh, in, in in lots of leagues, if the if the win if the the club that wins the league also wins the cup, then the the finalist in the cup will take like the Europa League berth in Europe, for example. Yeah, the the plan as it stands just now, or the favoured plan. Uh, as Axel Schuster mentioned there is they hope to have the tournament continue the way it's been drawn so everything would play out the way it was planned. The dates would obviously be very different but the plan is the tournament would be be played out the way it was drawn. I mean that's one option. Another option would be to to have a, a Hub City tournament like the Orlando tournament which you would imagine would possibly be getting played maybe in Vancouver Island, maybe in PEI, Winnipeg, the, the places that's been mentioned for for the yeah. CPL hub cities. I mean, that that's a plan as well. You could even have an East and a West tournament to cut down on the travel during this time and then the two winners meet somewhere and somehow to, to play off for that, either as a two-legged thing or as a one-off knockouts thing, maybe, say, in Winnipeg, so you, you kind of meet in halfway. I mean, what, what would your favourite option be of those? That, do you want it to try and continue the way it is? It would involve a lot more travel for the teams right now. Yeah. No, I definitely do not want it to carry on. It is because I know I hated last year's format. I can't remember if this year's format was identical, but I remember not liking this year's format. But number one, I think all the changes going on in the world and therefore the changes that are happening in football in Canada allow for you, as the Canadian Soccer Association, to include Electrical Ottawa in this competition. Yeah. That needs, that, that needs to happen, number one. Definitely. I think uh, because of the limited calendar, and like if MLS is trying to play eight home and eight away games in like three months or whatever it is, um, the truncated, or four months, I guess, the truncated calendar, um, and CPL, we don't know for sure exactly what that is going to look like after a potential tournament in a hub city. Um, I think uh, this one. I think well, one. I think the competition needs to happen, but it needs to include Ottawa. I I would not be opposed to it being in a in a, a tournament uh, in a hub city. Uh, if they do that, I think again something like um, uh, if they're going to do that, and especially if uh, there's not spectators are not allowed, fans are not allowed, supporters are not allowed. I think that um, PEI option would be brilliant. Yeah, uh, it would just be really cool. Um, but I also think this is an opportunity for them to do some transformative things with the tournament in terms of getting away from this two-leg 
format that they have to try and make things fair and uh, uh, generate revenue for you know both clubs and all that kind of stuff, and just do a single elimination and do it just by an actual proper draw, as much as you can with whatever it is, 13 or 14 teams. Um, so there might be a, a little bit, obviously, jigging to, to make things work in the initial round or two rounds. But from, from there on, I think it needs to be like a single elimination draw without uh, any seeding by, you know, being merited based on the league you play in. I, I wonder, though, if they would maybe cut out the, the League One winners and the Quebec winners if they were doing something like this. I would only be open to that if those clubs, if, the, if it was at their request. You know what I mean? Like if they're like, hey, for financial reasons, pandemic reasons, we can't make this work, that's fine. But otherwise, I'd like, I, I would want them to be a part of it. Yeah. Because I think their inclusion in the tournament is the, you know, is the initial, I guess, well, the secondary growth of the tournament beyond, you know, the, uh, you know, teams like, you know, FC Edmonton back in the day and Ottawa Fury and whatever. I mean, I'd throw in the likes of TSS or maybe even the Challenge Trophy winners, CCB, uh, from out in Surrey. I, too, would be totally open and uh, would love to see teams that um, uh, play in uh, whatever it's called, USL2. PDL yeah. or whatever. Uh, this is an opportunity to include those kinds of teams. Now, again, for them, I could see uh, two things. You know, the finances being an issue, but I could also see uh, you know rosters, <laughs> rosters being an issue for those teams. Yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on with, with you know with, with, with each of those squads. Well, we'll see what's going to happen with the the Voyagers Cup. I'm sure we'll find out in the in the coming weeks what the exact plan is going to be for that. And although I seem quite down on the MLS Orlando tournament, it's not the tournament itself I'm down against. It's the fact that they're going to a place where the, the virus seems to be out of control again. And you would hope that a Voyager's Cup Hub City tournament wouldn't be like that. So that's my different feeling for that. But we'll get Zach back on in part four to chat a little bit about the MLS tournament. In the meantime, we'll get Stephen Hagen from Radio Cascadia back on the line to chat some more to him about things. And we'll be back with that after this. Hello, I'm Nick Datswitz. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was English band Kaiser Chiefs there, with a song from their 2005 debut album Employment, I Predict a Riot. 
That was also the first of tonight's Three of a Kind songs. If you're a new listener or just need a refresher, at the starts of parts 3, 4 and 5, all the songs we play will be linked by something. Could be to do with their titles, could be to do with the bands, could be to do with where they come from, or a whole host of things could be the, the linking factor. Your job over the next couple of parts is to try and work out what that link might be. If you've worked out what the link is by the end of the second song, can you try and guess what the third song might be? That was the first one there. Any guesses as to what you think this week's link might be? Stay tuned to find out. But let's get back to the football chat now. And we're still joined on the phone by Radio Cascadia's Stephen Egan. We had a chat in the last part about the ins and outs and logistics of MLS's Orlando tournament. But let's get into the meat and bones of it now. The Whitecaps find out on Thursday what their path was going to be. And we'll come to that in a second. But it it was kind of funny. I didn't get to watch the draw live as I I was recording my my East Fife podcast at the time. But when I checked it, it was very strange, wasn't it? How many rivalry matchups we got. Orlando and Miami in Group A. TFC in Montreal in Group C. RSL in Colorado in Group D. Two LA teams together in Group F. What a coincidence that was, Stephen, to, to get those teams drawn together. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to look like I've got a tinfoil hat on. I do. Here, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that I watched that draw live, and and sure as the day is long, that draw was rigged, Michael. Uh, <laughs> why is it? Explain it to me. Somebody explain it to me. Why did they have to cut away from Charlie Davies? before he prepped every set of balls that they drew the names out of. Why mm. were they not able to keep the camera consistently on Charlie Davies, who was conducting the draw? Why is it that between every round, they had to cut away and couldn't show him turning around to get the other tray of balls? What, what was going on with that? Additionally, additionally, what is the deal with it looking like each and every person who was on that show looking like they had picked their numbers well beforehand and were saying something that they had that they had been told to say before. I'm just telling you, watch the way they say the numbers. It doesn't look mm. right. It doesn't look natural. I, 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 I don't want you to see the tinfoil hat, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you this was straight up rigged, man. I'm going to have to watch that again now and watch out for that. I mean, it's always been a running joke in Scotland that when they did the draws for the Cups that Celtic and Rangers had a hot ball and a cold ball, so they wouldn't be drawn together and they had more of a chance of making it to the final. <laughs> I mean, the way that this came out, and in some ways from the Whitecaps and the Sounders' point of view, and I, I, I know you, you cover Portland as well, but we'll just look at, at, at Group B, because the Whitecaps were drawn with Seattle. We've got a Cascadian derby. FC Dallas and San Jose also making up that group. I mean, it's an exciting group. It's a group, I think, all four teams will fancy their chances of progressing through it. But for Seattle and Vancouver, they must really fancy their chances of getting into the knockout stage from that. When you get a lot of the third-place clubs, right? Yeah, I mean, four of the third-place ones will go through as well. And you have to look at San Jose that haven't even been able to get back to contact training and stuff. So, I mean, you feel they're already a step step behind. You know, I just... I don't want to sound um, like I'm just dismissing it for Seattle, but as far as I'm concerned, they already have a foot in the round of 16. Yeah. I just I can't really possibly see them finishing bottom in that group or finishing as a... I, I can't see them finishing 
anything but first in the group, to be honest. I think Seattle's going to win the group. Uh, and I think Vancouver's got a great shot of going through. I think that they've got a better squad than the Quakes do right now. And I think that, that on a, in a neutral place, they've got a great chance of beating Dallas. Yeah, and the Whitecaps, the players seem hungry for it. They seem really up for this as well. We've got an issue here with Andy Rose, former Sounders player who has diabetes and his, his wife's also due in July. And he's got a tough decision as to whether he goes to play or not. It looks to all intents and purposes just now that he is going to go and play. Down in Seattle, you also have Jordan Morris who, who has diabetes. I'm a little bit out of the loop with that. From what you've heard, does it look like he is going to, to go and play down in the tournament? It does appear that Jordan Morris will play. I believe that Garth Lagerway, the general manager in Seattle, confirmed to Jackson Phelps, my friend Jackson Phelps, oh. 950 KJR, uh, the other day that he will be going down. I believe Dr. Morris, Jordan's dad, who is also the team doctor, approved it and uh, is also going down with them. And so he will be going. And uh, radio, uh, Andy Rose, a Radio Cascadia favorite, one of our one of our absolute favorite all-time MLS players on the show. I hope he's able to play, but first and foremost, I hope that, that he and his family are able to stay safe and healthy and do what's right for them. Absolutely. We'll just wrap this up now, Stephen, and, and ask two things. Are, are you excited for the tournament? And you, you touched upon it earlier when you were talking about the Bundesliga and crowd noise pumped in. For, from watching these games at home, what would you rather see? Would you rather see having the, the crowd noise pumped in? Or would you rather just hear the, the stuff from the pitch and the, the natural sound of the players and the coaches shouting? I'm really curious to get your take on this, Michael. I, I have a strong opinion. I love atmosphere at soccer games, but I absolutely hate it when it's contrived. I do not want to hear anything piped in whatsoever. Um, I wish they wouldn't pipe it into the stadium itself. I wish they wouldn't put it as a track over the top of the broadcast. I'd like to see it the way that it's happening. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I I like to hear players talking and coaches shouting. And it, it's something I asked Mark DeSantos about this week. And we'll, we'll play that bit of audio after we finish chatting with you. But, I mean, he's the same. But a, play, like a coach like Mark DeSantos swears a lot. So he knows he's going to have to kind of watch his language. And that's my fear because... On American TV, you can shoot someone in the head and that's fine. But if someone utters a cuss word, oh dear, that's absolutely terrible. And I worry that MLS will try and sanitise and cut down on the swearing by pumping in like a crowd noise and a crowd atmosphere. I want to mention something that I think is probably the biggest difference I noticed in soccer now without the crowd there from what I've seen so far in the Bundesliga. And I think that this effect will be amplified by clubs playing at a neutral site in Florida. Without anybody in the building, the host no longer has an obligation to entertain. Yeah, true. That's, that's very, very true. Games look different when people go up a few goals. You know, yeah. They kill games off differently, I think, and I think you might see slightly different tactics, slightly different style of play. Based on that idea, there's nobody there watching you hoping that you do something exciting. There's also the intimidation aspect that, that's not there as well. And I know it's maybe not as much in MLS as maybe other places in the world. But, I mean, if you're playing in Seattle, Atlanta, and you've got tens of thousands of folks there, Portland with such a vociferous fan base, 
if you're playing those teams now and there's no one to, to like boo you or like get on your back when, when you've got the ball, that takes a big disadvantage away from some of those teams as well. And I think some squads are better built for it than other squads. Personally, I think that Seattle's just kind of one of those, you know, Brian Schmetzer's whole philosophy is control your controllables. I just don't really think that playing behind closed doors is going to phase Nico Ladero and Steph Fry and the Seattle Sounders. I don't know that I buy it, but I think there are other people who might be really bothered by it. It's not even being bothered. I just feel some of the teams that maybe benefit from having a home field advantage won't have that benefit, so other teams might attack them a little bit more. Yeah, that that I can definitely see, um, and I think that that comes down to that that difference in obligation that you get and difference in expectation. True. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week, Stephen. We'll catch up with you again once the tournament starts, I'm pretty sure. Just before we go, though, let everyone know where they can find you online. Thank you so much for having me today, Michael. This has been so much fun. You can find uh, Radio Cascadia on Twitter at Radio underscore Cascadia and online at RadioCascadiaSoccer.com. And I am looking forward to talking with you again soon, Michael, and I hope the rest of your show is wonderful. Thank you so much for your time as always, Stephen. Pleasure talking to you, and just you stay safe down there in Seattle. Thank you, same to you. Always fantastic to have Stephen on the show. It's also nice as well to, to hear just the thoughts of someone from a from a different city, a, a different country as well, just to, to, to see what they're feeling about this tournament and with everything that, that's going on in the crazy world of football and virus and everything else that's going on just now. Now, I mentioned to Stephen there, I got a chance to ask Mark on Wednesday's conference call just what his thoughts were about how MLS should present these games from a broadcast point of view. Because we, we, we know what it's been like around the rest of the world. Some people are, are going for fake atmosphere. Some are just going for the natural on-pitch atmosphere for, from the players and officials. So I was really curious as to to what Mark felt about that as a, as a guy that watches so much football when he's not managing the, the Whitecaps and actually at games himself. And I also got the chance to, to ask him just what impact he, he may feel that getting used to the weather would have to this tournament and also the new five subs rule, just exactly what that might mean in terms of managing matches and whether that might lead to a new tactical approach or maybe even something that he feels should continue beyond all the changes for the the coronavirus. So let's hear the thoughts on all of that from Mark DeSantos. Talking about the five subs, Mark, we've talked before kind of like the purity of the game and like changing things for the sake of changing it. But the five subs thing seems like something that that might be something to even look at going forward, just to get your thoughts on that, especially if it was maybe tied in that a couple of the subs had to be under 21 players or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know the full rules yet of the five substitution. We'll know a lot this week um, because apparently we could do it in three times. Uh, so, you know, initially when I heard that, I said, wow, if we're up in the score, uh, we're going to do four subs in injury time, right? Uh, and the other coach is going to lose your mi- his mind, right? But uh, no, these things cannot be done. Uh, what I think is 
I, I still don't know if it's right moving forward. But for 2020, I have no doubt that this is the thing to do. Because in all over the world, the games are going to get crunched. People are going to try to catch up in Champions League and catch up in Libertadores and in their league and Champions League and in, in uh, international games. And I think that for the, the, for the security of the player and keeping them healthy, it's going to help in recovery. Looking at game two, if you're in game one, you're thinking already in game two, you have to have this certain player at a certain level. Um, that's going to be interesting to do. In, in a tactical view, you might keep two or three subs knowing that you, you could use them easily because you have five to a certain minute of the game knowing that player A, B, or C from the opponent team gets tired at a certain minute and could have a rough time facing player A, a or B. So it will change coaching for sure. It will change and impact recovery of players and help in that if it's used in the right way. Just, just a second question to, to you, Mark. Around the kickoff times, obviously one game's going to be really early in the morning, the other two are later at night. Now, I know no decision's been made yet as to exactly when you're going to travel down. You've got to weigh up the safety aspect, but do you also have to, to consider getting acclimatized to that heat for the players? Yeah, we will. Uh, but at the same time, this club has, has had a history of going to Dallas two days before and, and getting points in Dallas and in Houston and in Orlando. Uh, we don't travel to these games when we're in the league game two weeks before. I think we will travel. I'm sure we will travel with enough days to get used to the climate. Um, you never get really used until you live in a place for, for at least a good amount of months to get used to it. So it's for sure that we're going to have limited but good enough time to get used to the climate and be ready to play. This is going to be a challenge for, for all 26 teams. Maybe not that much of a challenge for Orlando and for, and for Miami um, because it's a weather that they know more than anybody else. But all, all the other teams are going to face the same challenges. So we'll, be, uh, we'll go with enough time to get ready and to get used to the climate over there. But at the same time, we also want to take the maximum of time that we could train home in our comfort, being close to our family, uh, because then once we're in that plane, we hope we stay there until the end. I don't know how much of the stuff you've been watching on TV, but I'm just curious about your thoughts. How would you like to see games broadcast in empty stadiums? Are you a fan of having the crowd noise pumped in? Or would you rather that people just got to hear like players shouting, yourself shouting? And if it was just the, the audio from the pitch, are you going to maybe have to tone down your language a little bit? I, I, I have to. Like my, when I came back from L.A., my my daughter said clapped at me and said, "Hey, well done, huh? You swore at in your locker room two three times, and I had to apologize to my kid. Nah, daddy was very emotional. Uh, I don't know what's best. Uh, you, we have to ask fans. See, me if I was a fan, I don't want to hear fake noise. 
I don't want to hear a noise that there's a throw-in and there's a celebration because the fans are not in tuned with, uh, with uh, what's happening. It's fake. Uh, if I was a fan, I would want to hear what the players are saying and what the coaches are saying. Of course, for a coach, we have to be careful because some of the message that we pass into the field is going to be more and more heard and more and more taken in detail. But now you ask me a question more related if I was a fan, right? Yeah. If I was a fan, I, I would prefer to hear everything that is said than fake, fake crowd. I just don't know how it's going to work in the tone. Is the ball going to go out to a simple throw-in and there's going to be a cheer of a goal? It's going to be weird. I, I don't know. I just think that we'll all have to adapt to what this new world is going to offer us. And I just hope that everything's going to become, that's going to come to normal as fast as possible. So some thoughts there on the logistical side of the Orlando tournament from Mark DeSantos. You've heard our thoughts on it. You've heard Stephen Egan's thoughts on it. We're going to be joined after the break by Zach and we're going to get some of his thoughts on that and a few of the other big talking points from the world of North American soccer this week. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Jake Norinsky and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. So rolls a riot van and sparks excitement in the boys But the policemen look annoyed Perhaps these are ones they should avoid Got a chase last night from men with truncheons dressed in hats I didn't do that much wrong Still ran away though For the laugh Just for the laugh And please just stop talking Cause they won't find us if you do Oh, those silly boys in blue Well, they won't catch me and you Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was Riot Van from Arctic Monkeys there, from their 2006 debut album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not. That was also the second song though in tonight's Three of a Kind, following on from Kaiser Chief's I Predict a Riot that kicked off part three. Can you work out what the link might be? If you have... Can you work out what song we might have to kick off part five? So just before the break there, we got some thoughts from Mark DeSantos about the Orlando tournament, the weather, the TV coverage, the five subs rule. Going to get Zach back on the phone just now just to delve into to some of his thoughts on the tournament. And we've chatted a little bit about this in the, the last couple of weeks, but now we've got things finalised and... I mean, first thing to, to ask you, just your your quick thoughts now, if they've changed any, on the tournament. I mean, I played a, a bit in the first part 
And it's worrying to me that there seems to be a lack of protocol currently set, and obviously this might now change because this did raise a lot of eyebrows, whereas if there's a positive test, there doesn't seem to be a set number that would make MLS take a step back, Don Garber's exact words. Now, a DC player has tested positive this weekend, but yet the team has still been given the okay to to return to full training, and it's like nothing to see here, we're going to move on. I mean, have your concerns lessened or have they heightened looking at some of the, the figures that's coming out of, of positive cases now in the Orlando and the, the Florida area? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a, a few elements of this. One, I think it's just helpful to know that there's more to this tournament than just you know three league matches. Uh, for teams, so to know that the end goal of this tournament also includes the, the you know, Concept Champions League uh, qualification spot, I think helps me just view it uh, more as a complete thing as opposed to like a half-baked, you know, what is this kind of thing. So in one sense, I feel, in that sense, I feel better about the tournament. Uh, in, another, in another sense, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that, you know, if I was a player or someone who works for one of these teams and you know, uh, needed to go to this. I would, I would have concerns about going to, well, probably most places, honestly, in the United States and a few places in Canada, just because of what has gone on or what is going on, you know, with, with the pandemic. Thinking of Orlando uh, and Florida, I guess, generally, it, it is concerning because of the, you know, some of these initial numbers that, that are being seen post the reopening of the economy, as they call it, because Florida is a, is a warm place and a place where people want to be outside, and then you end up having all these people together, and, and then with the social movements that have been happening, people have been getting together, and so yeah, it, it's just, I mean, I don't, want, I don't want to be a person who's like, you know, trying to spread fear or be, you know, be negative about everything, you know, that. I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just legitimately worried about you know player safety and player health and coach safety and coach health and all the people that are going going to be a part of this and then also just you know the, the local people who are going to be interacting with with the you know with these teams. Um, so yeah, I'm concerned. I don't. I yeah. I I wish there was a way that they they could be okay to say, hey, 2020 is not going to happen. To me, that ultimately, that would be the, the best thing. Yeah. If they just said, look, 2020 is not happening because of the world we live in, you know, I wish that it wouldn't, you know, as they, as they, <laughs> one of the things that this might have been interesting to me is, is the league being really freely saying that, hey, we're going to lose at least a million dollars, a billion dollars of the league. Yeah. Right? But when they go to the players, the players association, the association, they cry poor. But now the player association needs to bring this up, you know. Next time they, they get threatened to be locked out or the, the CBA comes up in five years, you tell us you're poor, yet when the pandemic hit, you were crying that you're going to lose a billion dollars. So which is it? But yeah, I really wish that they, they, they could either be willing to lose money or, or whatever, for whatever reason be able to say, hey, this season's not going to happen. Well, not, not, and again, not because we're afraid or not because, but just because of, uh, we want to, we want to put everyone's health and safety and families, health and safety, and, you know, first. And we'll come back next year stronger and better. And, you know, the likelihood of 
the world being a better place is where I wish that's what they could do. I, I would think that that would be the best thing, but that's not the way the world works. That's not the way economics works. You know, that's not the way capitalism works. And so, uh, you know, this is this is going to happen. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'll, 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 you know, I'll, follow, I'll probably follow it, uh, uh, you know, a bunch, but I'm not excited as excited about this as, as I as I have been. For example, with the Bundesliga, where it's taking place in a, in a in a country where you know the spread of the virus has you know slowed you know considerably. I, I haven't looked at it in the last you know few weeks or whatever, or last few days. Um, but it feels like how it's been done in Germany and how it's be, begun to be done in other places, being, being being handled with a lot more wisdom and in a much better uh, time frame related to the number of cases that continue to. Um, a number of new cases that continue to present themselves. I mean, Mark DeSantis was asked this week if he was concerned about going down there, and he was honest. He said, yeah, I'd be lying if I said it's not at the back of my mind, and it must be at the back of the mind of everyone that's going down. And, I mean, money is playing a part of this. I mean, that clearly... It, on Don Garber's call on Wednesday, I was quite surprised. Two of the first six questions were about the financial side of it, and... Were they looking at this to have more sponsorship and marketing opportunities? And I'm like, surely that's not the prime concern when we're we're talking about this right now. But then it made me think maybe I am just overreacting t- to this, and I'm just being a Debbie Downer, and I'm thinking the worst. And I, I've had a few folk like tweet at me going, "Look, the risk's not much." Um, Pete Shad tweeted at me on Saturday night when I tweeted something out about the rise of cases saying it's only 0.0025% of the population that's testing positive for it. Uh, Why would you want to shut it down for that? But we shut down our economy here when I don't know what the percentage was, but it wasn't a a high percentage. And it's more the case, I know most people are going to, if they get the virus, they're not going to die. But you've got the risk that you could get it and pass it on to somebody that could die. Or even if you get it and start just having symptoms, the symptoms sound horrible. Why would you want anyone to risk putting themselves at getting that? So, I mean, I don't know if I'm just overreacting or not, but I've got genuine concerns. It's not going to stop me watching it. So maybe I'm hypocritical in that. I just, I'm going to obviously watch the games and I'll hopefully enjoy them. But... Yeah, it's a fair question to ask, and so you know, it's it's good to hear you know people who are looking at it a different way and have different reasons why they're looking at it a a different way. And 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 this is one of the things, like, yeah, it's more like it's very subjective, and and it's yeah, it's more about what you feel comfortable with. But again, we're not players, we're not we're not we're not coaches, Um, and ultimately, I think MLS. will be judged on the other side of this, right? Like, if, it's, if they yeah. go there and this is, you know, horrendous or, you know, people get sick or people die, you know, they'll, in one sense, they'll have to answer for that, right? Or, or I mean, public opinion will, will, you know, probably be connected to that. Yeah, I mean, in, any league that comes back and that happens, they're going to be absolutely crucified for it. But, I mean, there's so many other things as well. I, I do think that... In normal circumstances, the ESPN Worldwide Sports Complex would be the ideal venue. We talked about it a couple of months ago. It, it's a great venue. It's 
got hotels, it's got the facilities, it's got gym facilities. So you've got all that going for it. I completely forgot about the weather aspect. I was talking to, to Stephen about that earlier on. Um, I mean, it, that could be a factor. That wouldn't be the first time we've seen games in Florida in the summer have to get put off for lightning and storms and stuff as well. I still think having any game though, and I know that they're saying they're doing it for player safety in terms of the heat, but 9am Eastern, 6am Pacific, if you're doing this to try and get eyeballs watching you, it might get eyeballs overseas, but Don Garber denied that that was why they were doing it. He said that's not even a concern of theirs. 6am starts... Just seems crazy if you want anyone in the West to watch these matches. Yeah, yeah the schedule's not out, right? So we'll have to. Yeah, not yet. You assume they put Eastern Conference, sorry, Eastern teams in those time slots, and you would assume that they put. Well, you'd assume they put the less desirable matches in those spots as well, but maybe maybe they can. Maybe they got to put some. Maybe they got to spread the love around that. That would be Whitecaps v Dallas then, if you've got a match. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we talked to Mark there about the, the five subs rule. And, I mean, you've seen it. You've been watching Bundesliga, so it's in play there. From what you've seen of it, do you see that it's it's changing games? Is it meaning that coaches maybe need to draw up new tactical plans? With a group tournament, I, I think it's a bit more interesting because some teams if there are a couple of goals ahead and they know that they've got the points wrapped up and it's not really maybe going to come down to goal difference or whatever, they might then decide, oh, we'll just take this player off and rest them. Coaches are going to have to learn to manage the game differently. Have you seen it feel any different in, in Bundesliga? Yeah, I don't know about having to drop um, more tactical plans, but it definitely has given coaches much more flexibility. Um, they've been able to to, to make changes. Uh, some yeah, sometimes to change things tactically, but also just to you know have more more fresh legs um, and to uh, allow certain players more rest. Like yeah, even like in Bayern's game uh, this weekend, they had uh, Lewandowski and Muller were suspended, and they have a whole actually they have a whole bunch of injuries right now. And but they they rested. Um, uh, they didn't start Alfonso uh, or Kingsley Coman, and so like yeah, an, an hour into the game, they were able to you know bring them on and not like burn you know burn. It was it was like oh okay, well they still have other players that they could you know other changes they could make because mm. they still have three other subs you know, uh, and that and that in that case that that did change the game really because they were involved in the Alfonso was involved in the in, you know the the build up to the winning goal. But yeah, so I, I I view this actually as a positive change, and I I think that post pandemic, I, I I hope IFAB or FIFA will look at this. If not if not keeping five, then at least maybe moving to four. Uh, just thinking, even just thinking about injuries and thinking about um, how tired players are at the major tournaments and all that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of pros in this, and I also. Like we was talking about before, I also think it opens the door for more younger players, um, yeah. more more opportunities and to, and, to, and to develop. So I've actually I've actually liked it and enjoyed it more than I thought more than I thought I I, I would to be honest. And I think most coaches uh, that I've seen in the Bundesliga and I'm watching usually five to seven games a match day. Uh, I think are you know using it very wisely. 
I mean, when I was a lad in the 70s, you only actually had one sub named and you're only allowed one sub. So, I mean, the game, it does change. And it's going to benefit teams that have strong depth. Now, in in the big leagues like Bundesliga, the the Premier League that's going to be getting underway this week, that obviously plays a lot into the advantage of the big, big teams. But in something like MLS... I think Vancouver has got a pretty strong depth-wise a squad in that it's pretty much quite a level playing field with what you've got in the squad. Some of the other teams maybe have a couple of star players, but their depth isn't as good. So this could maybe maybe benefit Vancouver in a tournament like this. Yeah, and Robo used to talk about that, like an mm. approach. Uh, you know, they used to reference like Columbus. Columbus put all their uh, salary budget into a starting eleven, and were very you know weak when they were injured with suspensions or whatever. Um, whereas their, the goal used to be uh, at the end of Robo's tenure was to spread that out and have more uh, quality players throughout the squad as opposed to big names, which was also tied into their approach in terms of you know actually bringing in true designated players. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I think I think you're right uh, when you have more substitutes it'll show the quality of your depth in terms of how you how you use those. Well, let's have a look at the the Whitecaps group. We've got Seattle Sounders, FC Dallas and San Jose Earthquakes. So two big rivalry games there if you listen to MLS. Um, it feels like the Whitecaps have a great chance to qualify. I was speaking to, to, to Stephen earlier about it. He said he's not wanting to get too ahead of himself, but he would be absolutely amazed if Seattle didn't qualify from that group. When you've got the top two definitely going through and then four of the best six third place finishes. So he's pretty sure Seattle's guaranteed a spot in the knockout round already. I mean, you look at that group and I really fancy that the Whitecaps chances in, in, in advancing. So you're saying you're really fancy their chances of not coming dead last? Definitely. I would put I, I would bet my house on it. And as I've said before, that's always a worry because I'm renting. But <laughs> one quick question for you. I didn't watch the draw when it was on. Is this supposedly a true random draw? Well, yeah. I was gonna ask you about that because I, I didn't watch it live either because I was recording my East Five podcast. Check that out on glorydaysofgold.podbean.com. Uh, fantastic shows. You, if you haven't listened, you definitely need to. If, if you thought these shows were long, we'd take it a, an extra hour in the East Fife one. What more could you want? But yeah, I didn't watch it live, but I was getting all these messages coming through to me saying, this is fixed. What a fix. What a fix. And this, these are from so many different people. Stephen Agins yeah. just talked about there that he would, again, put money on it, it being fixed because the amount... The amount of rivalry matches, every group it feels has a rivalry match, and you've got the two LA teams drawn together. Yeah. You've got Toronto and Montreal. You've got a Cascadian derby. There, there's no way that there wasn't an element of this that it, it was fixed. I genuinely don't mind if that was the case because it's you want matches that you want to watch. You, you want to watch like an LA derby, uh, an RSL Colorado game. But do these matches have the same intensity, though, if there's not any fans there, in a lot of ways, then it is just like any other match. No, okay, a couple of things. One is, uh, I don't I don't disagree with you in the fact that, yeah, you, if you're doing this to try 
trying to get people to watch or, you know, your, your current, um, you know, fans and supporters to, to watch uh, and maybe engage some new people, especially with the lack of uh, sports on North American TV right now, especially maybe in America. Yeah, you want more engaging competition, more engaging matches. Uh, you want storylines, all that kind of stuff. But here's where MLS fall continues just to fall flat, and they're so tone deaf. Like, why would you? Assuming that it was it was supposedly a random draw, or they claimed it was a random draw. Like, why would you do that? Why would you not just tell everyone we're going to start, we're going to fix the groups because we want. We want this, and this is best, and it's what we're doing. Or say, hey, we're going to start each group with two teams that are natural rivals, and then we're going to do a draw for the others. Like, why can you not just be upfront and honest? Yeah. You're right. There's no way that this wasn't fixed. There's no way that each group that have these teams in them, or at least a couple, at least two teams in every group as natural rivals, uh, and that's totally random. Yeah. It's it just like, I, I, don't, I, I don't understand like why you can't just be honest with people? And I think folk would be like, "Yeah, that's fair enough." No, I think I think people would say, "Oh, I wish you had a draw, but I can see why you put those te- four teams together or whatever." Or I can understand. I, I, sure, you're gonna hurt. You're gonna hurt uh, Dallas and people. Well, I guess Dallas has natural rivals in like Houston or whatever, but mm. uh, they're, they're apart. But like you know, oh, okay, sorry, San Jose, you're the third wheel everywhere. You know, or Vancouver, you're the third wheel in Cascadia. We're not putting you with Seattle or Portland, or you have to get drawn with them. Or you know, I think people would understand. Like I don't, like but you just got to be honest with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, and this is another example of the league. You know, this is typically this is what people say they're they're not being transparent with everyone. I I would have loved genuinely if it was a a group with Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, and one other. If you had San Jose and the two LA teams, if you had Toronto and Columbus and Montreal all in the one group, Philly, Philly DC and the two New York teams, I mean, they're yeah. fantastic games to watch. I, I, I would, I would, except for the thing that I mentioned either last show or a couple of shows ago, where if you're worried about pandemic and travel down the road and all that kind of stuff, and these are league matches, why not have you know teams playing with? Maybe one team from your region, and then two teams that it's going to be hard for you to travel to yeah. later. But maybe that's that's too difficult with the numbers. One thing I meant to do before we recorded this, and I I didn't, so I'll I'll, I'll look at it for the time in the next show. I'm genuinely curious if any of the teams have played each other already this season. Oh right. Because the first two league games are counting, so I meant to have a look at that because if any if it. If it's completely that no teams played each other already, again the chances of that happening are astronomical. So then you know that that something's definitely up. Right. Yeah, because Vancouver is clear, right? Because they're they're not with LA or yeah or, or KC. So hmm, interesting. But I mean that this tournament is going ahead until August eleventh, and then it looks like there's going to be a bit of a break. Obviously, right now the Canadians have to have a fourteen day break because they'll have to quarantine when they they get back to Canada. But I mean, after that, the the talk is that the the season will will recommence. Now, Marty Santa said something interesting about that as well. But if you read between the lines, and you don't even have to read between the lines that much. It did sound like Mark's a little bit sceptical that the rest of the season can actually be played. 
So he knows that this is definitely being played, so that's why he's full, fully concentrating on that, as opposed to what may or may not happen later on. Now, Don Garber said, I'm very optimistic. I expect that we will be back in our stadiums. We just don't know the exact date. Obviously, this is all unfolding in real time, and literally, more and more markets are opening. And what I find interesting is that they are the markets you expect to open up later and on a curve or a timetable. I do believe we'll get back to our markets. I think all of our fans should expect that to happen. When that will happen is still uncertain, and whether or not we'll have any markets with fans is also uncertain. But we are also hearing about different guidelines that have been established state by state, where there's even a possibility that some fans might be able to attend games. What a horrifying thought right now. Well, again, maybe you and I are both a little bit too on the, I wouldn't say pessimistic, yeah. pessimistic yeah. side, but on the cautious side. Yeah, I'm sure folk are shouting at the their speakers just uh, now. I think, I'm sorry, like in a pandemic, I, I kind of want to be on the cautious side. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I think, yeah. And again, that's, uh, that's probably shaped by my, my own personal realities and stuff, but yeah. I, 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 get, I think what he's saying partly is like, yeah, you know, a place like, New York, there's not going to be, you know, fans in attendance. Or, or maybe a place like Florida, yeah. fans in attendance. Because I would have said Florida and Texas were the two states you'd probably have fans in attendance, but they've now just had massive spikes. Right, yeah. It's what it's what they obviously they, they long for. I'm, I, honestly, I'm wondering, you know, again, this is going down a very pessimistic or, or negative, negative road, but if there are Let's say there, uh, let's say play, there's a spike of players or club personnel who do uh, contract the virus while at the tournament. Could could we see like a player strike or a player walkout? You know, and then the tournament mm. ends and there's a, a lockout or a walk, uh, you know, a, a, a job action or whatever take place. Because I, I of mean, what, what happens in the tournament? I, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I like Mark, Mark, like your your sensor, Mark DeSantis. I. I, it's hard to see anything happening, uh, like for example, in BC uh, before September. Yeah, and I, I think they're looking at playing into December, maybe starting the games late September, maybe even into October. So I mean, it, it could still happen. So much depends on border travel, spikes, second waves, and there's just all these unknowns. And it, it would be great. It just feels to me still a, a long way off, and maybe I'm just, as you say, being pessimistic. But I mean, we we started talking about this virus when I got back from from the UK, and back in February I was talking about, oh, we should close borders, this is going to be bad, and we were proved right, and you could kind of see this coming, and. Yeah, I, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. I know there's going to be folk listening to this that's really annoyed. I've had some folk message me that are like saying I'm overreacting and stuff. But yeah, Let, let's just enjoy the tournament for now. Hope it yeah. goes without a hitch and we'll take it from there, I guess. Yeah, again, for me, when, when something like this, I'd rather overreact than under, underreact, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, every you know things are changing, right? Uh, so we don't know what things will look like in August or September or October. But you already mentioned one of the one of the things that a barrier to an eight home and eight away games is the the whole border issue and the quarantine after 
are leaving the country. Yeah. Like how how are the Canadian teams supposed to come back, have fourteen days quarantine, then go you know be able to to, to you know play football again? Uh, and then a team comes here and they have to wait 14 days to play a game or seven days to play a yeah. game? Yeah, I mean, the thought is that the sportsmen all get an exemption. That's what John Horgan was talking about for NHL with okay. Vancouver became a hub city, which I have mixed feelings on that. It's like if you make an exception for sportsmen, that's there for your entertainment. But, I mean, you're talking about could there be a lockout, players and stuff as well. I would have said, no, I don't think that would happen. But then you look at what's going on in the NBA just now. And even in the baseball, where baseball, yeah. the players are being quite firm and they're like, NBA is different. They just don't feel they should be putting on entertainment just now and taking the narrative away from the, the Black Lives Matters protest because they think, well, once sports gets back up and running, that's what yeah. folk will talk about and other things will, will be forgotten. And that that will happen in, in, in some areas. I, I'm pretty sure in England, once the Premiership returns midweek this this coming week a lot of the other stuff's not even going to be thought about by a lot of folk yeah but that's a whole other issue yeah. but that that's all our chat about the mls tournament for now but we're going to be back talking about another hot talking point in north american soccer this week and that is anthems and we'll be back to chat about that after this Hi, I'm to St. Ricketts, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And that was the wonderful Half Man Half Biscuit with their classic track, The Trumpton Riots, from their 1986 Trumpton Riots EP. You can also find that on the live album ACD. And it was the third and final song from tonight's Three of a Kind, with the Kaiser Chiefs, I Predict a Riot, kicking off part three. Riot Van by Arctic Monkeys kicking off part four and Half Man Half Biscuit with Trumpton Riots there kicking off this final part. And yes, the link was obviously Riots. That was uh, another easy one I, I know this week, but next week we've got a real tester for you, so let's see how well you do with that one. And keeping the musical theme going now, it's time for this week's Wavelength. And we're going back to 2007 for this week's song. A band from Stoke-on-Trent in England called The Clay Faces. And this is the title track of an EP of theirs back then. It's called Football on the TV.
There was the clay faces there from 2007 with football on the TV. I'm sure we can all remember different parts of our lives depending on what happened in various football matches over the years. I know I certainly do. But let's get back to the football chat now. And we'll talk about a, a topic that has had a lot of chatter this week in North American soccer circles. And that is anthems. Now, something that came out of Don Garber's conference call this week was that MLS said that they they won't be playing anthems at the MLS tournament in Orlando. They also reiterated their 2017 statement that players won't be punished if they want to take a knee or sit during the anthem. When Garber was asked about the, the anthem at the Orlando tournament, he said, We won't be playing the anthem. There's not going to be any fans in the stand, so we didn't see that it would be appropriate. And I feel today, no different than I felt back in 2017, which is if a player is looking to express their right to kneel during the national anthem, they should have the right to do so. I would hope that they would stand, but if they opt not to, that's their prerogative, and we will support that. Then on the back of that as well, US Soccer repealed a demand this week that players had to stand for the anthem at national team games. That's raised the ire of many on the right in the US, with Florida Representative Matt Gates tabling a motion in the Senate to discuss US Soccer facing repercussions. And he said if US Soccer doesn't want to represent the flag, we don't want America to have a, a soccer team. It's a very, I know, it's a very divisive topic for some. I, I, I woke up one day this week and I was, I had my usual morning grumpy head on and I, I tweeted out, good, it's like, why don't we just get rid of the anthems altogether for league games? And I didn't think much of it, and then it got a tremendous response. It was like 60, 70 likes and lots of folk commenting on it. It's crazy how much the anthem means to some people in North America when you look at the rest of the world and for club games, and that includes CONCACAF, they don't even play the anthem at all. I mean, what's your thoughts on the whole anthems at club matches, Zach? Someone, I don't know if it came via your tweet or whatever, but someone in the the uh, Whitecaps supporter group page uh, brought brought the discussion there, and uh, I mean there was some good discussion, but there was also you know degraded into some you know name calling and characterized you know um, mm. yeah. It's it's a very emotive topic of, of people, but. For me, honestly, uh, this is one of the things where I have actually shifted my, my perspective uh, over time. I used to, honestly, I used to like love the anthem, especially at Swangard. Uh, I used mm. to love the anthem before games. I, I love Canada. I, uh, I, I feel uh, grateful uh, to be born in, in, our, in our country. It's not a perfect country, obviously, but uh, there are... Um, a lot of a lot of positive things about being born in Canada, and so uh, yeah, I love I I love Canada, um, and so yeah, I, I used to sing the anthem loudly and proudly at at, at you know at Swan Garden, even into the MLS, into the MLS era as well. However, uh, over time. 
time, and for the, I don't know how many years now, uh, I have switched, and I, and I don't enjoy the national anthem at club matches. And part of that is because that's not how it's done in the rest of or most of the footballing world, but also because I don't, I just don't think it's needed at, at these games. I love it uh, singing the national anthem with the Voyagers at Canada games. I think that should uh, always happen for national team games. But I'm not a. I no longer am excited for the national anthem at a club game the way I, I used to be. In fact, I, I kind of, I, I don't enjoy having them at at, at at a Canada game. And for me, it's not a political thing either. You know, for some people, it's like, oh, keep the politics out of football and the nations and whatever. And it has nothing to do with that. It's just a, a, a I guess, a personal preference and a, and, and something that I'm, you know, I, I, to, I totally, I totally changed on. And maybe that's partly because of some of the people I hang out with and. and, and they maybe influence me, but um, that's, that's where I'm at. I mean, for me, I, I, I'm always aware that when I talk about this, I'm not a Canadian, but I love living in Canada. I love singing the national anthem at the Olympics, for example. I love when Canada's there. At the old days in Swan Guard as well, I really loved belting the anthem out as well. And it's, it's it just makes, it feel, feels you, fills you with pride. For club games, I could understand them playing it, say, for the Canadian Championship because it, it, you're representing Canada in, in that regard. That would maybe be one of the, the exceptions that I would be happy with. But when you've got teams where, in the Whitecaps in particular in previous days, th- there was no Canadians on the pitch. But yeah. you're playing the Canadian National Anthem and it's like you're playing anthems that means nothing to them. How is that really going to fire them up when they're like, oh, it's just it's just another song that, that you're playing before the game? So that, there's that aspect of it. But the other aspect that I think as well is the more you play a national anthem at sporting events, at football matches, I feel it becomes less special and it gets less meaning because it's just, oh, there's another anthem. Like... A lot of times at BC Place, I either still sit in the in the press room and I, I finish my my lunch that they've given me, or I go for a piss because it's like, oh, the teams are out, but I've still got another five minutes to to kill while the anthems are playing. So it doesn't mean a lot. But if you're playing that for every single game, the anthem I think becomes a little less special. But if you kept it just for when Canada is playing. I feel that just has more meaning. Totally. I, I totally agree with you. Like, I'm not like, oh, the anthem needs to, to go or whatever. Like, I like I love singing it every day at school, although for some people, same thing. It was like, oh, we do this every day. It's routine or, yeah. or you See, we, check we, out or whatever. We never did things like that. We never had assemblies where you had anthems or anything like that. Yeah. When I was growing up, they, they still sung the anthem. Like, your class sung it, right? Like, now I don't, I don't know if they play it, but they, I know the last time I remember being in a class, you know, at a, a high school or whatever, or a middle school, I, like no one sang it. Like it was just like, it was just like the, I think it was not even the words were on. It was just the, uh, just the music or whatever. And I was like, what is this? This is not how I grew up. But um, I, the, the one, the only, one of the only positives to an anthem is that sometimes it has helped with, with visual displays in terms of yeah. creating a definitive start time or, Helping people get in the ground because they want to be there. Some people want to be there for the anthems, and um, uh, because, like you know, places uh, most club places where there is no anthem, displays are done 
well ahead of the players coming out of the tunnel and held up during that time, which, you know, a BC place and, a, you know, a lot of places in North America, it's hard to get people on the ground early to make those things meaningful. What I will say is when we've been down in, say, Portland and the fans have been belting the anthem out before the game, it does, like, put the hairs on the back of your neck up. I've got some videos that I've got up on our AFTN YouTube channel of it, and it's that is a great feeling. You're down in another country, and you're you're representing your country to an extent as supporters. Folk will say if you don't do it, you're disrespecting the country or you're disrespecting the flag and that kind of stuff. But again, you're there for your club team. You're not there for your country. And I understand a lot of people enjoy it. And a lot of people love Marie Huey, for example. That was a lot of the comments that, that folk right. passed on to me. It's like, well, we love her singing it and, and everything like that. It's an emotive subject, I understand that. Unfortunately, nowadays, it's become so politically charged. And when you've got politicians in the US threatening to take it into the Senate and like disown the football team if you don't do that and you're dishonouring it, D- dishonouring an anthem to me is if you boo during it. That's what we tend to do, I, w- I won't say throughout Europe, but in a lot of places in Europe you boo the opposition anthem at games. It's an intimidation thing. When Scotland play England, I always remember being at a game at Hamden and the booing from the Scottish fans of the English anthem was so loud that even on the television, you couldn't hear the band playing it for the boos and they had the microphone right down at the band. I mean, that's disrespecting an anthem. I'm not saying it's big or clever to do that. It's just, it's a different culture. That's just something that they do a lot over in Europe. Just because you don't stand for it, I don't think is disrespecting it. Or if you don't play it, I don't think that's disrespecting it. I I concur. So I I just kind of wanted to to get that subject out just because it had, it caused quite a lot of discussion on Twitter this week. And as I say, it's a very emotive thing. But let let us know your thoughts on it. I would also like to hear from people that do enjoy it. And someone had said on Twitter that he did enjoy it and he, he's sorry for, for disagreeing with me. And I was like, no, don't be sorry. It's like, I want to hear both sides and why you enjoy it. And it, there's no right or wrong here, but it's, it's just let us know anyway. Send us a, a tweet at AFTN Canada. Probably a subjective thing. Yeah. But that's pretty much it for tonight's show. But just before we go, we've got a little bit of time to go around the world with Joe Corona. Just a very quick travels this week. Over in the UK, English Premiership gets back up and running this week. Championship coming soon. The League One and League Two playoffs are going to be following as well. Scotland still can't decide on league reconstruction. That's going to possibly be before the votes this week. There's a lot of talk that some of the games in Scotland, like at East Fife's level, they might not get back underway until January. And then with a very shortened season. So that's going to to test a lot of clubs' finances there. La Liga Serie A came back this weekend. I, again, leagues I've never really watched before the pandemic, and it's not something that it's making me watch now. But I, I just want to get your thoughts on something, Zach, that's happened in Germany this, this week. A famous club name, maybe a little bit on hard times in recent years, but Kaiserslautern, it's a, a name that... You know in German football, they've won the Bundesliga, I think, five times over the years. It looks like they're in a, a lot of trouble, filing for, for insolvency, and 
the future might be bleak for them. Just was curious what you thought about that. Yeah, I, I uh, saw my news tweet uh, this uh, Sunday morning. Yeah. And uh, it was really sad to see. Kaiserslautern is a, a, a big club in Germany um, that, yeah, has fallen on hard times both on and off the pitch. Yeah, they're one of the founding members of the Bundesliga in 1963 and you know, played in the Bundesliga until uh, 1996, uh, and then they dropped down. The crazy thing was they came back for the 1998 season and then proceeded to win the Bundesliga as as the you know after being promoted, which was crazy. And that team was coached by Otto Rehagel. It had a very young Michael Ballack in it. It had a very old Andreas Brema in it. Oh, wow. Um, just like, yeah, and, and uh, of course, those are those are names football people might know, but they're also known in Germany for having uh, one of the one of the biggest names in German football history, uh, a gentleman who their stadium is named after, and that is Fritz Walter, who's the captain of the 1954 uh, World Cup winning side for, for West Germany, uh, the first time uh, Germany had won a World Cup. And um, Kaiserslautern, so this is a big traditional uh, club, and this is incredibly, uh, incredibly sad. They... Um, they have debts of, I think it's like 20 million and they're losing, you know, $5 million a year or something. They're playing. Wow. People don't know they're playing in the third division. Now those numbers don't seem, they seem like a one sense. Yes. They seem like a lot, but in another sense, uh, they don't seem insurmountable, but in, in the state of football right now, uh, obviously that there's huge challenges and not having people be able to come to their 50,000 seat stadium. You know, there's all that creates problems. Kazakhstan is meaningful to me for a number of different reasons. One, I've been blessed to go to Germany three times to watch football. And the first time I went was uh, to watch the German Cup final. Bayern was playing Kaiserslautern in 2003 in Berlin in the German Cup final. So I went to that match, and it was, it was awesome. Just being in the city center uh, the morning of the match with all the supporters and all the ultras and red versus red. The red was everywhere. Um, it was really, really amazing. The game was amazing. Byron won 3-1, but Kajasan's lone goal in the game was a header from Miroslav Klose, who, you know, that's where he made his uh, his name. He's obviously the all-time leading goal scorer at World Cups. So, yeah, I, uh, so I, I had a bit of a connection. I had a little bit of an affinity for them ever since that time. Like, not that I, like, I don't support them, but I, I, I have a deep appreciation for them. Mm. Then in 2006, I'm, the second time I went to Germany, um, the Fritz Walter Stadion was one of the host stadiums for uh, for the World Cup, and I got to uh, go to one game there. I went to the I believe it was a round of 16 game between Australia and Italy, and uh, it's just this iconic stadium that's kind of like at the top of the hill. And so I bought I bought I bought my ticket for the game after getting off the train at the train station from some young dude. It all felt a little dodgy. <laughs> the next half an hour, as I walked from the train station up to the stadium, the whole time I thought, "I've just, you know, I hope I have not bought a fa- like a fake ticket." <laughs> and, and but this, this epic walk up the up the hill to the stadium, and then the stadium is just, uh, you know, it's one of the cathedrals of German football. It's one of the great stadiums in uh, in in Germany, and I'm I feel fortunate that I got to go to you know a game there during that that you know epic and iconic World Cup. It's also so. While I was there, I went to the fan shop, and I didn't. I don't own. I don't think I have anything from Kazakhstan, but I did buy. I did buy something because a former Whitecap 
uh, keeper, Josh Wicks, was born just 10 kilometers away from Kaiserslautern. And it's like his hometown club. So I picked him something up at the at the fan shop and brought it back to him, uh, you know, in, Van- in Vancouver. Oh, nice. Um, and so, yeah, so Kaiserslautern is just like, even, and so even a number of years ago when they, when they dropped down again, they dropped out of the Bundesliga, they were one of the clubs where, like, I always was hoping for them to come back because they're like one of these big traditional German clubs that, uh, they're, they're the Red Devils, so like love them or hate them, they're 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 nice to have. In fact, I, I haven't proved this out yet, but I, I, I will uh, before the end of the Bundesliga season. I was thinking the other day, like you know, it's the time of year where teams are going to get relegated and teams are going to get promoted, and I was thinking, who would be in my my 18 team Bundesliga? Who would be the teams I would want there? And I was going through the list, and Kaiserslautern was undoubtedly one of the teams that I had on my list of like. It's in the perfect top 18 teams in Germany. Who would be there? And Kaiserslautern was, you know, definitely there. So I don't know what this bankruptcy, this insolvency is going to mean for them. Uh, I haven't uh, translated any of, the, any of the articles yet. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen uh, to them, but I just hope that somehow this historic club doesn't have to die. Like, you know, go away forever. I mean, is it a case that they're in trouble because they've been living without out with their means or is this just maybe the first of what could be several clubs that just with the finances drying up the last couple of months it's just been what's really tipped them over yeah that to be honest i'm not i'm not sure they don't strike me as a club that uh has really done that in recent times especially dropping down to to the dropping into the third division Mm. uh uh, I, so I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, they've all the other things. They also, had, you know, a lot of a number of Canadians have gone through there, spent time there. You know, oh, even Caden Chung spent spent the, the season there. Caden um, Chung was with their second team before he went to Pacific. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I also seen a number of you know social media posts of people saying, "Oh, Q, Q Bayern spending them some money to keep them alive." Because this is something that Bayern has done in the past with Dortmund and uh, with their own local rivals, 1860. They've helped them uh, financially, mm. or, or FC St. Pauli. They've helped them in financial ways or helped them be able to make money to, to save their clubs. So part of me is wondering or hoping that something can be done, even you know, even if it takes Bayern or other Bundesliga teams or whatever uh, playing a role to save them. But it's hard to do that without just giving straight up cash yeah when, when you can't like go say hey we're gonna have a game there this summer to raise money you know what i mean oh yeah uh, it's very very difficult like byron that's the kind of thing byron would easily have done you know they did for st paulie i think uh, they've done for other teams uh where they were in difficult times they go and play a they go and play a, a friendly and they just donate all the proceeds that they would have received for the match to the, to the home club and um or the shirts, you know, the shirts that St. Pauli made about, you know, beating Bayern after they won the World Cup Cup. The number of Bayern players, you know, bought those shirts and stuff. So, yeah, whether it's Bayern or other Bundesliga clubs, it, it will be interesting to see how this plays out and if there is both the will and the, the ability of others to help save what is really uh, a, a wonderful piece of German football and history. They've been around, this is their 120th anniversary, too, as well this year. Oh wow! They've been, around, they've been around as long as Byron since nineteen hundred. I'm genuinely interested to see if this is like the tip of the iceberg for right. a, a number of teams, not just in Germany. 
I know in England there's a, a lot of clubs that could be on the brink if fans aren't allowed back soon. Scotland as well. And I think yeah. this time that we're in just now is going to show a lot of these clubs up. Because in, in Scottish football just now, you've got some teams that are ready to start playing now. East Fife's one of those teams. We've re-signed about 13 or 14 of our squad. Whereas you've got a team like Queen of the South that's just released their whole squad. So if they were to say, okay, football starts August 1st, we can go. But a lot of these teams are saying, we can't go unless fans are in, so we'd rather go in hiatus. But how can you have a hiatus if teams are in different leagues? Do you relegate all these teams? There's a lot of interesting times ahead, I think, in European football. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a good point, because Kaiser Sutton being saved by one or, or a number of other you know, teams or benefactors with, in, in Germany could be prevented because they might not be the only case. Like you said, they might be the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Not everyone, if it is, in fact, at the time where a bunch of clubs are going to go bankrupt, they're not all going to be able to be saved, right? Yeah, it's it's a worrying time. I guess we'll see what happens. The last little bit of stuff we'll just talk about from going around the world, but Joe... Won't do a full Slutsk and Vitakinger update this week because both teams played crap. Slutsk lost 3-0. Uh, that was a game that I got my kickoff times wrong. Tuned in late. They're already three down. Didn't bother watching anymore. Finished 3-0. Vikingar got up early to watch that. Well, I say early. It was 11 o'clock on, on Saturday. That, that's kind of early. Um, they, they got back to 2-1 after being 2-0 down. Ended up losing 4-1. Uh, away at another beautiful ground uh, that was lovely watching on TV. Still enjoying my Pharaohs football. But that is it for this week's show. Just before we go, though, Zach, just let everyone know where they can find you online. Yeah, for me on Twitter, it's at ZacharyAM. And if you'd like to see Alfonso Davies potentially win the Bundesliga, uh, tune in on Tuesday, June 16th at 11.30 on Sportsnet, and you uh, can see that if Bayern is able to, uh, to get a victory. I'm Michael McCall. You can follow me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Follow us on Instagram at AFTN Soccer and on YouTube at AFTN Canada. But we will be back next week with our 400th episode. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the caps. Bye, everyone. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
Et...